Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including eBooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books and Political Science podcast. My name is Heath Brown. Today I'll be talking with Candace Watts-Smith, who's the author of Black Mosaic, The Politics of Black Panethnic Diversity. Candace's book is published this year by NYU Press. I hope that you enjoy this conversation that I had with her. Welcome back to the podcast. Uh, again, today we're talking with Candace Watts-Smith, who's the author of Black Mosaic, The Politics of Black Panethnic Diversity. Candice, how are you doing today? I'm great. Thank you for having me, Heath. Yeah, it's such a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Um, I've read the book. I've enjoyed the book. Um, but before we get to it, why don't you tell us just a little bit about yourself, uh, where you are now, where you've been, and so forth. All right. Um, okay, so right now I'm at Williams College. I teach in the political science department. And before that, I was at Texas A&M, where I actually finished the manuscript as a postdoc. They were um, kind enough to have me. And before that, I did my graduate work and also my undergraduate work at Duke University, which is where this whole thing started, actually, as an undergrad. So I've been thinking about this question and these questions for quite a long time. And, you know, and that was actually the first thing I was going to ask you about. You begin the book talking a little bit, you know, sort of personally about how this began for you. I wonder if you could recount a little bit of that, um, some of your undergraduate experience that, that led you down this path to ultimately study the subject? Yeah, I mean, the, the thing about it is, is that Duke is, you know, an elite institution um, mm-hmm. where a lot of the black students are either immigrants or the children of black immigrants. And even though we had a really great community at Duke, you know, we had a black bench where, you know, in between classes, we would sit around and, you know, just kind of joke and laugh and then move on with our, you know, go to class or whatever. There was also kind of um, a lot of talk and a lot of perhaps consciousness about ethnic differences, right? You know, I'm from, I'm from Ghana or, you know, I'm from Nigeria or, or, you know, I'm Trinidadian, so on and so forth. And what I noticed is, I I, I guess for me in college was kind of the first time I met students who were not, um, you know, black Americans or who, who were not people that descended from black American slaves. And, you know, sometimes that was great to have that diversity. And other times we kind of had our issues with each other. Um, and I recount uh, one of the stories that I had about a woman who asked me, you know, where are you from? Which is, you know, people ask you, where are you from? And then you say, oh, I'm from North Carolina. No, where are you from from? The from from means I want to know where your family's from. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I said, oh, well, 
my family's from Chicago. Why are you asking? You know, and she said, oh, gosh, you know, you've accomplished quite a bit for to be just an African-American. You know, it's kind of like, I don't I don't know what that means, but I don't like it. <laughs> I, don't, mm-hmm. I don't think I don't think that's a compliment. Um, right. And so it just kind of got me thinking about how people think about their ethnic identity, even in a place where their racial identity is typically the more salient one and um, how they viewed other black people within kind of within an ethnic lens. Yeah. One of the things I really enjoyed about the book is how seriously you take where people are, are from. And, and so you have this interesting um, chapter towards the beginning of the book where you kind of tra- trace back uh, to Cuba and to parts of the Caribbean and parts of West Africa um, what the, the issue of race may have looked like in, in the either near or distant past of the black immigrants that you're studying in the book. And so I wonder if you could talk just a little bit about some of those similarities and differences um, that, that inform sort of the identity past that people come to the U.S. with. Sure. So, you know, I, I teach a class and was taught a class called Comparative Racial and Ethnic Politics. And so taking those things that I learned about how race is formed and racial hierarchies look um, both different and similar, that there are a lot of patterns um, across the globe. Du Bois said um, or wrote that the color, the color line belts the globe. And so just kind of realizing that immigrants don't come to the United States as blank slates. They have their own ideas about what race means. I think it's important when we think about when they come to the U.S. So, I focused on, um, you know, Latin America and the Caribbean, particularly because there's a lot of um, there's a lot of data and information about how people in those countries think about race. And we typically see that, you know, there's this kind of idea about, um, you know, there's not so much of the black white dichotomy, but more of a spectrum, more um, more fluidity between racial groups, but that there still is a hierarchy, right, with um, the most powerful, rich um, wealthy, um, well-off people being white or very light-skinned and just the opposite, being very dark-skinned people. Africa is a, is a bit different, obviously, but there's something to be said about coming from a place where um, perhaps most of the people that you know uh, in power are people who look like you, right? And and that can bring its own kind of perspective when you come to a place where Black people are not um, in in the most powerful positions. What does that mean about them when you come from a place where black people seem perfectly capable of running countries, of being um, teachers and CEOs, so on and so forth? Now, you do some really interesting interviews with, with college students in the book, and this kind of helps set up some of the um, the hypotheses that you, you develop later in the book. So, um, who did you talk to and, and what did you discover from them? Was there anything surprising that you found talking to, uh, to uh, these students? Yeah, so I talked to mostly college age and college students um, at the time. And I chose that group, one, in part because that's where I was, you know, I was on a college campus, but also because... I, I, I kind of have a beef and maybe you, you might have gotten this out of the, 
out of the book. I kind of have a beef with this segmented assimilation um, and downward assimilation uh, theory in this kind of group of scholars who suggest that um, that upwardly mobile second generation black immigrants are not going to um, identify with black Americans because they perceive that identity as as being a negative identity. And so I thought that if I could, I, I thought that college students would be the best test for that, right? These people are, they're at some of the best colleges in the country. They were in programs for pre-med, for being, you know, professors and so on and so forth. That um, if, if indeed they said, no, I don't identify as black, that means something very negative to me. Well, fine. Then there's evidence for the claim. But a lot of them were were made very um, affirmative identities, black identities to say I'm black in part because people see me that way, but also because that um, is an identity that I want to be associated with. Um, and uh, I, I, I see that as a positive attribute of my identity. No. A lot of the book is about identity, and, and you walk through kind of a way to, to conceptualize, sort of not stages, but the, but the different ways in which um, political identity is formed. I wonder if you could walk through us uh, a, a couple of these, the, the different sort of posts that you, you identify to, to walk us through how um, uh, black immigrants, in part, uh, develop their political identity. Sure. So I use this frame of the identity to politics link which starts us at group membership. People are ascribed an identity when they come to the U.S. You can look at the U.S. Census, for example, and it will give you instructions on about, about which box or boxes you should check, right? Um, but it doesn't mean that you're going to feel attached to that group. Um, often it means that you will, you know, the group that you're ascribed to, you tend to form an identity with. But it doesn't it doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to associate with the group that you're ascribed to. So um, so let's say you are ascribed to a group and let's say you do feel a sense of group identity, a, a sense of kind of attachment to that group. Um, the next possible step towards politics is having um, uh, an awareness of the uh, status of that group that you belong to and a feeling of if that status is deserved or if it's unfair or, or something like that. And typically if you feel that your group status is low and that you feel that it's unfair that your status is low, then you tend to want to do something politically. Um, and so that could be voting. It could be protesting. It could be many other things. But what we tend to see is that people who both feel a sense of awareness about their group, feel an attachment to that group, feel that their group is being unfairly treated, also tend to um, be more politically active and politically aware. Now you do some really interesting quantitative analysis in the book and, and test some interesting hypotheses. Uh, which data do you use? What's, what's, I wonder if you could describe a little bit about uh, where you sought out some of the um, the, the test that you ran and the modeling that you did? Mm -hmm. So most of the modeling that I did is based off of the National Survey of American Life, which was filled in, I think, between 2001 and 2003. It's housed at um, ICPSR now. But I, I, this was kind of, I think, maybe one of the first, and I'm sure at the time that I was doing 
um, writing my dissertation, it was the only data set that differentiated black people by um, by ethnicity. And so in that way, it became, it became invaluable. There's another um, data set called the National Politics Study, um, also housed at ICPSR, that, uh, that looks at African-Americans and Afro-Caribbeans, but that data came much later. Um, and so the work that I'm doing now um, on black immigrants, I use that data because it's, it's more up to date. Um, but for this, for this book, I use the National Survey of American Life. Now, you've already alluded to a number of um, uh, points of contention that you have with with the existing literature and existing approaches. I wonder if there is a a misconception or um, misconceptions uh, that you hope to refute with these data. Is there there a sort of a a claim that has been made elsewhere that you thought uh, perhaps you could challenge? uh, and, And, you know, were you able to challenge any of the sort of the existing notions of the relationship between African Americans, uh, black immigrants, and and sort of what what comes in between. Yeah. So my main the the, the main contention is that these groups are 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 not going to get along at all ever, and that black immigrants are going to feel that they are better off, better than black um, Americans, um, and we see that it's more complex than that. That. There are times when black immigrants and African-Americans um, don't get along. And there are other times when they do. And that I think that it's really important for us to try to figure out when, under what circumstances, either might be the case. Now, um, one of the things that, that you found was that uh, African-Americans, if I'm reading the data right, the African-Americans um, vote at significantly higher rates than black immigrants. Um, did I read that right? And, and was this a surprise at all to you? And, and if, if it was, if it is right, what's, how do you explain that? Well, I mean, voting is a, all, our, our, any group's interaction with the American government is going to be influenced by, by your, your own history with the government, right? So, we should expect black Americans to have higher voting than immigrant groups in general um, because immigrants have a different relationship with the American government, right? They, they, with the American government and how they may perceive the role of government in their own lives to begin with, right? So mm-hmm. um, many immigrants from all over the world, right? Not just black immigrants, but just immigrants in general, may feel, may come from places where the government is not the source of solutions, right? And so, so, so they, they may see voting as kind of unnecessary or superfluous, whereas African Americans have a history with the American government and, and are probably, you know, seen in the data show are more likely to participate in that way um, because they have grievances with the government and they have a sense of what the government should look like and should be doing considering their constitutional rights and the American creed and so on and so forth. Yeah. You know, one of the things that, that sort of, that I study that I thought related to this and, and you have some variables that capture this is, is issues of group membership and, and the work of, um, uh, we're recording this on election day. We're not going to post this on election day, but the work of, of get out the vote 
um, which which um, African American organizations have been um, active for generations on. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if we could say the same thing about immigrant organizations um, who who may not be engaging in um, trying to turn out votes at the very same at the high levels. And so um, it's sort of a piece of it that that I thought um, fit with some of the uh, variables you have on the relationship between individuals joining a group and some of their um, feelings about identity and feelings about um, solidarity and, and such. Now, one of the sort of subgroups that I, that I was most interested in the book were, were these second generation uh, immigrants. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wonder if you could talk, and there you have lots of statistical findings, but I wonder if you could talk about that, that cohort, because it seems like that's the cohort that really gets most to the, the, some of the contentious parts of this. Um, is there something that you learned about this group that may surprise people, uh, that may run counter to the, the common narrative about assimilation, um, about the relationship between African-Americans and black immigrants? Yeah, I think this group is so special. Um, and that's borne out in the, in the analysis, right? That they have really high levels of racial, you know, identity. They have really high levels of group consciousness, higher than African-Americans. They um, are really politically engaged. And the, the interview data and the interviews really show that they have a really complex notion of how to view their own identity and what that means for their own lives, right? They're not just kind of like, oh, we're black or oh, we're, and then, you know, some X country, you know, I'm, oh, I'm only Trinidadian or oh, I'm only Cuban, right? But they're kind of like, I'm all of these things. Um, and they kind of seem to, you know, kind of straddle two worlds, right? The, the, the U.S., and their parents, you know, their parents' country of origin. And in that way, they just kind of, they, they, they I can't say enough about this group. They, mm-hmm. just, they just stood out in so many ways, right? Um, and, and it could just be that they, you know, they're, they're the children of immigrants. They really have an idea. They, they, they still, they recognize the reality, the racial reality of the U.S., but they also realize that their parents didn't leave their homes for nothing, right? That um, that it's really important for them to kind of hold on to that I- ideal America, right? And and work toward work toward um, seeing the kind of American dream for themselves and for their families. Not yeah. that African Americans don't do that by any means it's it it just seems that the straddling of kind of two worlds they really have a different perspective on on what america looks like yeah no i i i sit and record today and in the the congressional district of yvette clark and so um there there are a few parts of the country a few representatives who who i think um well would learn a lot from your book but also embody a lot of what your book is about is is um, uh, her likely election? She probably has been reelected today, and, and and so forth. And so, I really enjoyed the book. What's what's next from you? Uh, is there another book project? I, I always uh, I ask the question, knowing that it may put someone on the spot. Uh, but but what's next from you? Is 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 uh, are you going to continue in this line, or is there something new? Uh, what 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 can we look forward to from you? I have two things in the works. One is very different. One is I'm doing a 
a book-length project with Christopher DeSanti, um, who's at IU Bloomington. And we're looking at um, young white people's attitudes, racial attitudes, and their policy attitudes, especially around policies that are aimed to ameliorate racial disparities. And the kind of our initial analysis are really counterintuitive, but it's a really fun mm. project. I'm yeah. looking forward to, you know, as, as we move on. And it's also multi-methodological like this one. Um, and then I'm also working on a book on young black people, right? So I have some kind of preliminary analysis that shows that a, a young black people are more likely to suggest that the reason why we have disparities between blacks and whites on, you know, important socioeconomic indicators is because they are not getting their act together. And that's really an about face from what we've seen among, you know, black people historically. And so where, where, where does that come from? What does that mean? What should we expect from young people? And what should we expect for black politics as we, cohorts are replaced? Yeah, well, you'll have to promise to come back with uh, either one or two new books in the future. And till that point, we have your current book, Black Mosaic, The Politics of Black Pan-Ethnic Diversity, published this year by NYU Press. Uh, Candace, thank you very much for your time today. Thank you, Heath. I appreciate it. <laughs>